Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. We've been talking about the what the fancy word is, is the attributes of God, like God's qualities. What, what, what makes him the way he is? Um, why are you the way you are? And, and, and what is he? Um, what is God like? There are some things that are about him that just are different. Nobody's like him. And then there are things, because we're made in his likeness and in his image, that we can be image bearers of God. And, you know, why do we do that? And, and how do we do that? And as I was going through this whole fancy uh, group of things we could talk about, I finally came to the idea that God is all-knowing. God knows everything. And you thought it was just your mom, but God knows everything. And I want to read this verse, right? Isaiah chapter 49, 9 and 10. This is really going to just be a, a springboard. We're not exegeting scripture and going through a passage because we're trying to get a, 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 a bigger pile of understanding of who God is and it's going to be worth it. Let me read it for you. It says, Isaiah says this, remember the former things, those of long ago. I'm God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Listen, those of you that are in this room here this morning, God wants you to know he makes known the end from the beginning. Those of you that are online listening to us, which actually, believe it or not, church e equals one, one third of our community is actually online. For that 100 plus people of those of you that are online, I want you to know that God wants you to understand that he is the one from ancient times that tells you what is to come. That's, that's called prophecy. How can he tell us what's going to happen? How is it that he has this past track record and this future confidence in him is because he is all-knowing? And that's something that you and I can't be. God is calling us to look back and we know the past and long ago. I mean, you and I can talk about history, but then he turns around and he says, look to the future. Who do you know who can tell you what is yet to come? There are all kinds of numbers that disagree on this, but let's just take it as just a, you wouldn't, you wouldn't confirm this anyway. None of you are going to go home and say, I wonder if he is right on this fact here. But there are about like 2,500 prophecies that are found in the Bible. Things where God said ahead of time, this is going to happen. And 2,000 of them already have happened. 2,000 of them have already happened. If you went to a friend 2,000 times and he told you, hey, tomorrow's lottery numbers are this, 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 and this, and this, and then you did it, would you keep playing those numbers? I just said that in church and I used a really bad example. So let me, <laughs> but I'm just trying to get your attention here. Like, listen, we're not, we're not, listen. All right, so if somebody went up to you and 2,000 times they told you the truth and then they're looking at you again, they're saying, I'm not lying, I mean this, I swear it. Sooner or later, you'd fall in line and say, 
I'm taking his word. I'm taking her word. God has 2,500 prophecies. There's only 500 left. Listen, God, God is able to say with confidence, I make known from the end of uh, the beginning and from ancient times what is still to come. He's an all-knowing God. The fancy word for that is, in theology, God is omniscient. This week, I didn't know, but David, I found out about your father's surgery, and I've been praying for you. I'm so sorry for that, for that struggle. This week, I can say this with their permission, uh, last Sunday, Pat Edwards and Clint Edwards, Pat, who was in our service, and she, she was headed to our church. I'm sorry, I want to get my facts straight. She was headed to church, and she just started having intense pain uh, in her gut and went and just found out that she has a large cancerous tumor inside of her intestines and two spots on her liver. And so immediately, Pastor Dylan went over there and uh, I've been over there. Charity and Sandy, I know have been over there. She asked for a few people to go over there, but if you're kind of like, how can I help her? What can I do? Her room is bare. She needs flowers. If you want to deliver it, it's, it's the hospital, and you just ask for Pat Edwards' room, and you can deliver flowers. Right now, they're kind of taking it slow with visitors, so you just don't want to pop in. Those of you that know her and love her, you don't want to just show up unannounced. It, she may go into surgery as soon as tomorrow, but here's the thing, God knew. I'll never forget, listen, thank goodness it wasn't cancerous, it was a benign tumor in my wife's head in the center of her brain, and God used surgeons. The doctor said, Paul, when I operate on your wife, I'd like to believe that your God is inviting me to put my hands, uh, his hands into mine, and that when I go inside of her head and I'm operating, that he's gonna guide my hands. He wasn't even a believer in the way that I was, but I appreciated that he was that respectful of my relationship with Jesus Christ, that he would even say that. But here's the crazy thing is, is that before that happened, my mom called us up on the phone. I picked up the phone and I said, hi mom, and she's like, hi. And she said, Paul, uh, I was in church and I felt like we needed to pray for you. And I'm like, well, thank you, mom. And believe it or not, if you meet my mom, she's nothing like me. She is quiet. And so, long story short, she says, I was praying for you, and then I said to the pastor, I feel like we need to pray for my son. And I said, oh, thanks, Ma. And he says, she said, no, you don't understand. It was right in the middle of preaching, in the middle of the service, like a moment like right now. And he looked back at me, and he said, I was thinking the same exact thing. And the whole church turned into a concert of prayer for you and your wife. I don't, and this is what she said, I don't know what you're about to go through, but whatever it is, God wants you to know it's going to be okay. And then, and then, sure enough, you know, we're fine. She's fine. It's gone. And light. This is this is a long time ago. But why do I share that? I share that because God says I made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. God has not done that with every situation in my life. But there are certain times where He went out of His way to just let me know ahead of time, not. When this happens, do this. When that happens, do this. Some of us treat prophecy like, like we, want, we want a prophetic eye map. Up here, turn right, shake hands, duck, turn, hold, because a car will hit you if you go forward. You know, like God doesn't work like that. He just talks in a general sense, and the invitation is always this. Trust me. Trust me. God is inviting us, this quality of who God is, this 
we could say omniscient, but this all-knowing aspect of who God is is simply his invitation to you and me to say, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your life as it unfolds, whether you have all of the information or not? So what, what is an all-knowing God? It's simply this, God fully knows himself. There are times in my life when I was younger, I thought I knew myself, but I didn't. But God fully knows him, not only himself, but all things, actual and possible, in one simple and eternal swoop. God knows everything at all times in one quick swoop. And really in simple, omniscience is just a Latin word where it takes all and knowing and puts it together. You remember in, I think it was uh, Between the Lions? Good day, good day, good day, good day, good day. It was all knowing, all knowing, all knowing. You guys are too old for that, aren't you? All right, never mind. If the teens were in here, they would get that. You weren't watching TV with your kids, I can tell. God's knowledge is perfect. He does not, listen to this, he doesn't have to reason or find things out. He doesn't learn gradually. His knowledge of past, present, and future are perfect, instantaneous, and at all times. Who, you know, the verse starts off, remember the former things. He says, I am God and there is none other like me. There, there is no other, I am God, there is none like me. There's none like God who can actually make that claim. Your God is an all-knowing, omniscient God. God's knowledge is perfect, but you already know this. Because when you're a kid, your father is omniscient, all-powerful. My dad could beat up your dad, right? But mom, is omniscient. Do you have something you need to tell me? <laughs> right? Moms are omniscient. It, it, they just know things. And, and then they tell you what you did, but you never told them, but that's omniscience, you know? As a kid, you're able to relate to that with your mom, because she just seems, am I the only one that had a mom like that? She'd be like, do you need to tell me something? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then she would reveal the secrets of my heart, and it was just terrible. And then she said, wait until your dad gets home. And then I had another stress in my life. Like, not only is she, like, doing that, but then she's bringing me to the disciplinarian, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, my dad beat me. Um, just it is what it is. All right. Let, so, you know, let me give you another illustration. Uh, Mickey Bertrand, Pastor Bertrand's wife, who they, they are the reason why we are in this building while we're debt-free, and they're here in our church. She's still giving the preachers of this church the best material for Sunday morning. I just want you to know that. Any message you heard Pastor Dick preach and you said, that's really good. It wasn't him. It was her that gave that example. All right? So if you didn't know that, I just want you to know that. But I'm sitting there talking. We were having like an hour talk in the back, and, and we're shooting the breeze, and, and I start talking about what I'm talking about, and she goes, you know, it's like a parade. If you ever been to, I grew up on a street where all the parades in the city used to go by there, and so it was, it was awesome. You just, you know, for the, 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 the local high school band went by, the, the veterans come by, but they're in a car waving, you know, the older veterans and the soldiers and all this different stuff. But I would just see bits and pieces of the parade. But I 
never got the chance in New York City to be where some of my other friends were, up in a skyscraper looking down on the parade. And that's God's vantage point. You and I just see the life we live going through moment by moment in the now, trying to make the most sense of what we've experienced in the past, hoping for the best in the future, but God is right up above it all, seeing it from the beginning to the end, and he's able to call it because he is God and we are not. He says, I've made known from the end, the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what still is to come. How can he do that? Because he's a God that is above everything and sees it all instantaneously in a moment. And that shouldn't scare you. That should comfort you. Whether you have gotten a call from someone saying, we were praying for you and God says you're about to go through something and you go through it, or you're in the middle of your struggle and you can't, it's totally messed up and you don't know how you're gonna make it through. God knows and you're gonna be okay because he loves you. It's his vantage point. Look at these, I, I call these vantage point verses. I just want you to just soak in real quick. Is that Olivia out there? Nope, never mind. I'm tension deficit. <laughs> All right. I thought I saw someone that I hadn't seen in a long time back there. All right. Here comes, these are what I call vantage point verses, where God gives us a vantage point or a view or an angle of him declaring his all-knowing power. It's all throughout the Bible. Proverbs chapter five, verse 21, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. In other words, God's looking not only at the plans that I'm making, but the paths that I'm traveling. I'm on his radar, I'm in his view, and he's looking out for us when he does it. Proverbs 15:3. the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Listen to me, bad people do bad things. Sometimes good people do bad things. Good things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. What God will never violate is man's free will. He will never violate your free will and he won't violate man's free will, but what he will do is find someone who will say, thy will be done to step into your life to auto-correct those impacts that you experience from people in a sinful fallen world who do sinful fallen things. It happens, we all suffer, we all go through things, but I'm mindful that God's eyes are on me and he not only sees the good I'm trying to do, he sees the bad that's coming to me and he loves me. This is a beautiful one and a very familiar one. Psalm 139, four and 16. Before a word is on my tongue, you Lord know it completely. And then he skipped down to verse 16, he says, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is not caught by surprise because of a diagnosis, because of, uh, I'll, I'll do all Ds, because of diagnosis, because of a disaster. You remember when people used to preach like that? All right, God is not caught by surprise. He knows what's going to impact you. Whenever I have something impact my life, and I feel like, I don't know if you've ever gotten the wind knocked out of you, but if you do, it's like, you, you just, you're like, God, you know. I can ground myself and say, God, God didn't approve that. That was somebody's free will to do a, 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 the wrong thing, but God saw that coming. I can, I'm gonna be okay. 
I'm gonna, have you ever noticed that most difficulties in your life introduce themselves and then hang around for a really long time? Like problems don't solve themselves and they don't disappear overnight. So if that happens, I have to understand that God knew it was going to happen, that God has his eye not only on me, but on the, the ones that are maybe doing wrong or, or, or are the, the center of that, and that I can be at peace in the middle of the storm knowing that in the end, God will work it all out. He'll work it all out. Because he knows a word before it reaches my mouth. He knows my days before they ever happened. And I love this particular one and I resent it all at the same time. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet are you not? Uh, one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I'm a little bit angry at that, because if he knew, why didn't he do? Like, I wanna keep watching this, here it goes. See, this is why we have no camera up in back of us, so. It is what it is, right? All the men said, uh. But think about, the, think about what God's saying with this. That there isn't a single 401k that drops, there isn't a single job that drops, there isn't a single shoe that drops that God doesn't know about. He knows. God knows. Your God knows. He's all-knowing. Even to the point of not only a sparrow, but the very hair on your head. And I love Psalm 147, verse 5, because... The Lord says his understanding has no limit. It's not only that he knows, but he understands. And Hebrews sobers me because he says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. I will have to give an account of my life before God. That sobers me. It doesn't scare me, but it motivates me. If I'm a loving God and I'm loving people that I'm not gonna do it perfectly, I'm not gonna get it right, I'm gonna be wrong sometimes, but at least it's having me try to go in the right direction, not in the right perfection, but the right direction. And I can do that knowing that I have a God who says that I made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. God knows what you're going through. God understands what you're feeling. God sees what you're subject to. And there is comfort in knowing that we serve an all-knowing God. He doesn't sit around and check off on the list. Well, let me send some disaster that person's way. Let me send some... No, he's not doing that. He, bad people do, do bad things sometimes, and it, and it just happens. And sometimes good people... And good people are doing bad things to each other, and they just, you need to work it out. You need to talk through it. But God knows, God cares, God understands, and God sees. That comforts me, really does. He's all-knowing. But I, I don't know about you, but I also have some questions. I think there's some genuine questions from genuine people about an all-knowing God. And you might be some of those here this morning well, if God's good, why is there evil in the world? If God knows everything, then why does he let anything happen? I, got, I just figured it would be good for me to just talk a little bit about a couple of questions, and I know when I do this that I'm probably not gonna hit your question. I'm not gonna sort it out, but I think that 
I might be able to share a couple of things that you'll say, oh, that, that makes sense. I can fall in line with it. So I'm just doing my best here, um, working at trying to get inside your heart and head through getting into mine and saying, I, man, I've been in that place where I've kind of felt that way, thought that way, saw that way. And um, I might not satisfy it all. I'm not the smartest uh, bulb on the Christmas tree. I can still use that. We're still close enough to Christmas. But here's some genuine questions from genuine people to an all-knowing God. God, uh, there are things God's said. Like, I, 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 let me just say this first before I say anything else. I really believe that there are less people out there that are looking to just uh, gaslight God and say, there it is, see? If you care so much, then why do you do this? There it is. There's so, there are a handful of people that are doing that to God, you know? But I really think that most of you here probably are like, well, where were you? Why did you? And so that's what I'm speaking to. So here it is. Uh, God says a few times in Scripture that it never entered his mind. If God's an all-knowing God, how can he say that something never entered his mind? Listen to this verse from Jeremiah chapter 7, 31. They built, they built the high places in the valley of Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Now, that would be a fair thing for somebody to say, well, God sometimes says that it never entered his mind. But here's a great thing about this Bible verse Language, we only talk about it when it means something. You know, we're not going to sit here and talk about language just for the sake of it. But that Bible verse where it says it did not enter my mind, it's the same word actually for heart. And here's where history helps us because King Ahab and another king, Hoshea, were the guys that were burning their children through the fire to foreign gods over a century ago. So God can't be saying it didn't enter my mind because events like this already happened. It's just a figure of speech. It's God's basically saying like, hey, listen, this, uh, this idea of what you guys are doing, that, that never even was my intention or my original idea that ever came to the heart of my mind or the mind of my heart. So it's, it's just one of those things where God says, no, that's not it. So... Another question might be, how can an all-knowing God, if there's an all-knowing God, if there are places where he says he will never remember anymore, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Paul? Isaiah 43, 25, he says this, I will remember your sins no more. Now think about this. God's saying, I will remember your sins no more. If he's all-knowing, then how can he forget? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, what God's saying is simply that he's forgive, his forgiveness will be applied to us in a way that deals with our sins moving forward. The past will not be held against us. It will not be a factor in his view or review of judgment on our life. So we have a clean slate. God is not suffering from divine memory loss or Alzheimer's. He's just simply saying, I'm going to choose to not engage you on these terms. Here's another one. If God foreknows everything that happens, including our choices, are we really free? Like, if he knows that who will reject his offer of eternal life, how can a person really be held at fault for being lost? What we're talking about now is not for uh, God being all-knowing, for knowledge. It's, we're talking about a thing that you have in uh, Cal uh, Calvinistic theology, which is foreordained. Like, God picks people to be lost forever, as if, like, he has 
people and they're just pieces on his board and he's like, I'm gonna sacrifice these pieces uh, to destruction and punish them forever and I'm gonna sacrifice, I'm gonna save these pieces so that I can win the game and we're just victims on God's little chessboard that he toys with. Well, nothing's hidden from God. He knows the end before the beginning. You know probably this idea better than anyone else. How many of you, since the invention of uh, iMovies, love to just go to movies that you have and look at the action scene or the love scene or the, or the epic moment scene? I've got a couple of movies I've been doing this with. There's an old movie, it's a Western. Sorry, Pastor Dylan, he hates Westerns for some reason. And the 80s, I don't understand that. If, if, you, if you think the 80s were awesome, you need to talk to them. Um, but there's this one called The Magnificent Seven. They redid it with uh, Denzel Washington. And so it's that moment where these guys walk into town, the town's under terror, and so what do I do? I just scrub forward to this one scene. I go, and in comes Denzel Washington. You hear the music in the background. And he, he goes, how you doing, gentlemen? He goes, good. He goes, you don't mind handing in those firearms, do you? He says, gets off his horse. He goes, law and order, I say. He goes, here's my gun. He says, you can hake it, but uh, uh, I can't say the same about my, my compadres behind you. And then they look over their shoulder, and there's about like eight guys leaning up against the post, you know. There's always chewing tobacco in a good Western movie, right? And then all of a sudden, he just, he just is standing there, and he's like, go on, horsey, get out of the way. And then it just all flies crazy, man. People are just like, boom, 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 boom. Some of you are like, our pastor is talking about killing and shooting. No, I'm talking about a Western movie. Yeehaw! All right? So he gets out there, and he just starts like, I mean, it's just a boss moment. If you haven't seen that movie, I've just given you something to watch. It's a boss moment, and they just kind of do that. And I, I, I love light looking at that scene. If you like Westerns, there's a good one out there called Old Henry. you got to see it. It's, it's, it's a cool one, too. But here's the thing you know and understand an all-knowing God, an omniscient God, a lot easier than you did, not only from your mom who knew what you did and asked you if you have something to tell her, but also from movies. If you watch a movie, you might, ha you might know the story completely, and that doesn't change how the, how, the, how the characters are going to respond. That doesn't change how the scene is going to end. It doesn't change anything to it. It just simply means that you know the plot, the story, you knew the end from the beginning, and you can simply just scrub to that. That's God's view that he has. William Shakespeare said it like this, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women are merely prayer players that have their entrances and their ex exits, and God's knowledge does not determine the event. The event determines God's knowledge, and God is a God who says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, I'm God. I'm God. I'm going to just look at one last question here, because must, they almost sound like straw man arguments, right? Genuine questions. Well, you're just putting something up there and just swapping it down. But this was one that caught me this week, and I'm like, oh, man, that's one I would have, right? If miracles would make people repent, well, why doesn't God do them more? And to get this, you've got to look at Matthew, where Jesus says this. He he condemns three cities that he had, like, churches in, that he would speak in, synagogues in. He says to you, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which happens to be, like, uh, 
um, Las Vegas and uh, pretty much think of another city that it, Las Vegas and, and Amsterdam, you know, if they, they would, if, if I'd done these miracles there, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ash and you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to, to hell for the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day. So I, all of a sudden I read that and I'm like, oh, there's a problem, right? Because God's saying, here's three places. God's saying, if I had done my miracles there, they would have repented. And I say to myself, well, then why didn't you do them there? If you're an all-knowing God. And here's where the problem happens, where we begin to say to God, you need to explain yourself. You need to come down to my level. I need an explanation that satisfies me, where God is saying, no, you need to come under the covering of an all-knowing, omnipotent God and trust me. And I was giving this thought. You see, I say this because I had a friend who was in a wheelchair, and I watched them get pulled from that wheelchair and healed, and then they just walk, they eventually walked away from Jesus. And I'm like, what's up with that? Why? Like, you would think, like, it's in the bag, right? They get supernaturally, listen, I'm not making this up. They were in a wheelchair, and they got pulled out of the wheelchair. They couldn't walk. They were able to walk. They were able to run. They started jogging again. They jumped back into the medical field. They moved on with their life, and then they turned their back completely on Jesus. I don't get that. Like, why would that happen? It's not fair. If he knows one group would repent, and the other wouldn't, why didn't he do miracles there? I think it's because God knows a little bit more than he always says. A miracle does not ensure a continued life of obedience. Think about this. Here's an example for you. In the Old Testament, there was a king who was an uh, administrator to King Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And this guy's name, his name was Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was everything you would want in a leader, except for his diabolical, diabolical betrayal. And so he takes off to Egypt, and he waits for the moment to be ripe. He sees there's disgruntled dissatisfaction, and this is where diabolical people always insert themselves into our life. They wait for the conflicts to begin, and then they divide and conquer, and he goes into the northern kingdom, and he says, let's break away from Israel. He sets up an altar in the city of Dan. Some of you have been to Israel and seen that. He sets up another altar in the city of Bethel. He says, Jerusalem, in the south, they have one place to go to. Don't you worry about it. I'm going to make you two places. And it became a wicked thing. It's where they put up golden calves. They, they turned their back on God. They stopped serving him. The guy was it was poison. He was toxic to the nation of Israel. Just toxic. And there was a prophet who came to that town one day, and he said this, he says this, he says, hear this. He says, to this wicked altar that you have here built, that you're using to divide the people of God instead of them returning to Jerusalem and unifying the nation and you dividing it, there will be a child who will arise. His name shall be Josiah. And Josiah will tear down all of these high places. And we know uh, close to a century later, King Josiah stepped on the scene and did exactly what he said. And he said this, he said, the altar will split and ashes will pour out on the ground. And as he was saying that, 
The Bible says that the altar split, the ashes poured out, and Jeroboam was there, and he reached out his hand and pointed to him and said, arrest this man. Let me read it for you. But King Jeroboam heard what the man had cried out against the altar of Bethel, stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. But his hand had stretched out towards the man and it shriveled so that it could not be pulled back. And then the king said to the man of God, please intercede for me with the Lord that you, your God, uh, and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And so the man of God interceded to the Lord and the king's hand was restored as it was before. But it says a few verses later, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. Sometimes we, this is a really great example that here Jesus is saying, hey, think about who came from Bethsaida. Think about who came from Chorazin and who came from Capernaum. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Levi. It was just a general statement. I think there are a lot of us that have genuine questions, and I'm telling you, I know that I am not mentally equipped to pick the top three kind of examples of this, but it gives you an idea that I think when you apply your, you apply your head and heart a little bit closer, you realize that sometimes God's not looking for you to understand. He's just looking for you to trust him. I think that's... That's the point I'm trying to make here. Those of you that are online, you've probably already gone through a couple cups of coffee, have answered the phone a couple times, and like, okay, you, oh, you could have said that from the beginning. I could have just, uh, it, 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 believe me, they have to suffer through this and sit through this, but, but I think that's it. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was not speaking to everyone in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, but probably a lot of them. Not only God knows all things, but he knows all things possible. Tyre and Sidon might have been like that king that just as soon as the miracle happened, they went back to their life the way it was. And yet, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, where the disciples came from, were the ones that took the message around the world. And you and I are here 2,000 years later because he did not put the message of his death, burial, and resurrection in the wrong hands. He put them in the right hands. That makes sense? All right, I, I'm just over-explaining that, but it's just a figure of speech, general statement. I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I think there's a blessing for us, some practical application here, and then we can wind this down uh, and close it up. The blessing of an all-knowing God. First of all, I think everything I just said and the point that I just made really sums it up that God's asking us to trust. Don't try to figure it all out. Just let it blow your mind that God knows and he's not against you, he's for you. And he sees all things and he's there for you. I, I, I love how David said it because David really basically said, "God, man, it blows my mind. He says, such knowledge, after he talks about how a word reaching his tongue, God knows it, <laughs> a hair falling off of his head. God knows it. He says, such knowledge, Psalm 139, 6 says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's high. I, I, can't, I can't attain it. If you try to understand it, and if you think that God has to speak until you get an answer that satisfies you, you will perpetually be disappointed with God. 
because even you know this already. It's called marriage. You have to take your spouse at their word. Have you ever noticed that spouses sometimes feel that they have the ninth gift of the Holy Spirit, the discerning of thoughts and intentions? Hey, when I said that, I, what I meant was, I know exactly what you meant, right? I know exactly what you meant. Well, that's them basically saying, I don't believe what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And now you're just in a, an emotional mudslinging fight, and, it's, and you're driving a wedge between the two. I knew exactly what you meant, you know? I'm the one that does that in our marriage way more than my wife. She doesn't even do that. I'm like the, I'm like the man-child. <laughs> but we think God owes us an explanation and we think that he owes us one that's acceptable to us but God didn't owe us anything but he gave everything can you just give him the benefit of the doubt in your life if you don't have the answers you need can you just give him the benefit of the doubt besides when you approach God with an attitude you're saying he's you're equal and you're going to be disappointed with yourself if he puts you to the test and say, let's, let's, let's see where this goes. And God, Isaiah 55, 9 says this, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Enjoy the mystery, follow the history, but as far as the future is concerned, he prophesies it, and when he's silent, just trust him. Just trust him. And that's why I'd say trust is a must. We can never trust our own insight. We can't trust uh, our heart. Jeremiah says, that you ever, this is the terrible um, mainline advice you hear. Just, just trust your heart. <laughs> no, please don't. Jeremiah says the heart is wicked and beyond cure. Who can know it? You, do not, you need to be exposed to yourself sometimes because your heart is deceptive. It wants what the flesh wants. It does not want what God wants. And sometimes, that, and that's why crucifying the flesh is an important part of Christianity, but you do that actually by taking your hands off of a situation and giving God the benefit of the doubt. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, Submit to him, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll make your path straight. In order for me to benefit from the knowledge of an omniscient God, I have to be willing to trust that he knows things that I don't. And if he's not explaining it to me, I just stay the course and do what's right. In order for me to benefit from that, I've got to trust him. I think about moments where God rebuked man. There are a few really great guys that pushed, gave God pushback on this. They're like, yeah, well, what about, where were you? And, what and then Moses, you know, God says, hey, Moses, I'm gonna send you back to Egypt and you're gonna deliver the people. And he's like, I, 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 I'm not really good at translating. I'm not really good at talking. I, I just, and, and God screams at him, right? Have you seen Prince of Egypt? That's the most anointed, Bur a burning bush scene I've ever seen in my entire life. You need to pull that one out of the closet, whip out the VHS, play it for yourself and your kids. But, but he just, God screams at him and says, who made man's mouth? Who made the deaf and the blind? Is it not I? Now go. And I think about, I think about Job. When God finally got to the end, and Job's friends, who really, like, 
they should have remained, they remained silent for seven days. They should have remained silent for seven more because God rebuked them. And the only reason he forgave them was that God, that God accepted Job's peace offerings to God on behalf of them because they were sitting there kicking a guy while he was down saying, hey, maybe you're sick because you got sin in your life. Maybe you're sick because you don't have enough faith. Maybe you're this and that. And then Job sees himself, God vindicates him and rebukes all of his friends. And then Job is kind of like, yeah. And then the Lord says to, to Job, he says, where were you when I hung the stars? And who do you think you are? Where were you when I called into existence all of these things? Where were you when I called the angels out? Who are you to question me? How, now think about this. This is a man who suffered. He suffered. He had a disease where it was like, I don't even want to describe it. It was just disgusting. He was rotting to the bone. There was no hope for him. And even in the midst of that, God came in and healed him. But before he did, he corrected him and said, who are you to question my omniscience? Even people that were following in line, and it just sobers me to say, my goodness, I only be benefit from the omniscience of God if I allow it to be the pillow of my peace during problems. I have to trust him. And I also have to be transformed into God's image, not conformed to my own preferences of how I think my life should be. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Now, that would just be a really cute verse until the last part comes here. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I realize that there are some times I'm not in sync with God. I'm not in line with him because I'm not discerning his will because I'm allowing myself to be conformed rather than transformed. I have reasons for God saying, why? Why? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to close. Um, I'm just going to ask uh, anybody who's on keys or anything, just jump right in with music, because really, I really am closing. I have one thought for you here. I think the, one of the best ways we benefit from God being an all-knowing God is that he knows. There, if, if I really, I can find rest in the fact that he knows. Um, a, an incredible New Testament commentary is one that was written a while back by a guy named William Barclay. Some people actually do their devotions out of it, but he said this. He said, there's a great comfort in considering this attribute. He says, all the tests of life, you can be certain of this. Your Father in heaven knows. And he's taking that verse from Jesus where where. He says, why are you worried about what do you eat or drink or what you'll wear or how your, your life is going to be? And he says, your father knows these things before, before you even ask him. Your heavenly father knows. 
He knows how difficult, uh, the difficulty that you face. He understands the pain you're in. He's aware of the challenges opposing you. He comprehends the losses you've endured. Your heavenly Father knows. And to the church of Smyrna, there's seven churches that, that God writes to. And most of them, he's, he's given them a bad report, saying, get your act together, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Change this, change that. You've, you've, you're, you're supposed to be my light and salt of the world, and you're, you're poison, you're, you're, you're doing all these different things. And that's, it's almost like God's trying to open up the eyes of the church to see itself for what it is rather than what it thinks or likes to think that it is. And that's really, you understand this. You understand this as uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And you go through all of these different moments, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, the spirit of Christmas future. And when he sees like Tiny Tim dies and all this terrible stuff happens, and uh, he, says, he says to the spirit, he says, he says to him, he says, uh, are these shadows of things that will be or shadows of things that might be? But that spirit of Christmas future never answers him. But we all know the story Tiny Tim lives. We've all seen it's a wonderful life and is the world better if we're gone from it, or if we're in it? Can I just tell you this to any of you that have ever struggled with suicide or you're in the middle of struggling with suicide and you're in this building, you're on this feed? Your life is too precious for you to cast it away in a moment of despair. The sun will rise tomorrow. That's what a wonderful life is all about. His brother never lives because he was never there as a kid to save him from the pond. And his children are never there because he never met his wife and she never got married. And, and he just, you, we know that classic film, uh, if you've grown up in the States or you've been here long enough, but you know this as a parent. Think about God as a parent. Think about you as a parent. When you have your child, it's the only relationship that's instant. You just hold that child and you say, I would die for this child. It's the only instant bond in the universe. It's the only relationship that you don't need to warm up to or figure out. You just look at that child and you're like, I love you, right? Am I right? Am I right? This is like someone who's right there. I would do anything for you. Now, is your child going to disappoint you and make bad choices? Is your child going to do things that aren't pleasing to you or aren't pleasing to God? Sure. But would God look down from heaven on earth and he said, I don't want to listen to my own voice saying, you're great, you're wonderful. I want a people who will declare the goodness of God. I want a people who will be like me and do what is right and choose what is right. And it's worth the risk. Whenever you have children, it's, it's kind of like, well, let's see how it'll happen. And I can guarantee you there is no child that's raised that you don't have seasons of trouble. But that doesn't mean that you decide not to give them life and bring them into this world. And when you're in the midst of your trouble, you can comfort yourself with this, Jesus' word to the church of Smyrna. They suffered, suffered. Them and the church, one other church, just two churches out of the seven were, were on track. And he said this, he said, 
I know you're suffering. The Lord wants you to know this morning, he knows. He knows the wrong that's been done you. He knows the hurt that you've endured. He knows the sacrifices you've had to make and they weren't even fair. He knows what others are doing to you. He knows the truth behind all of the lies. The Lord wants you to know he knows. And he says, endure and hold on. There's comfort in putting your trust in an all-loving God. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, help us to take, if anything, from this this morning, that one action step to remind us that the Lord wants us to know. He knows. You don't say you do everything or you approve everything. You say that you work everything out for good for those who love you and are called according to our purpose. Too many people have died too soon. Too many people have been the victim of tragedy and evil and wickedness. And too many people have been overwhelmed with despair and couldn't see tomorrow. You're a God in heaven who says, I want you to know, I know the end from the beginning. Who can tell you the end of days? before they happen. It's you, Lord. It's you. Here's what we're going to do is I step out of the way. I'm going to just let the worship team uh, play. And if you're here today and you have something, you're just saying, I, I'm carrying something and I know that God knows, but I want someone else to know privately, confidentially, and want to know that it's being prayed for. We have three books up here for you to write your prayers. And I tell you, I was in here Monday and Tuesday, praying over them. We'll pray, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for them. Um, maybe you're kind of like, Lord, I, I know that you know what I'm struggling with and I just need an extra cleaning. Maybe you need to understand God. Gee, maybe our first communion that we took was reflective and you said, okay, thanks God, I'll accept that. Maybe you need an outpouring of God's love and you need to go back there and grab communion for yourself and just partake of it. Maybe you and your spouse might need to come forward. This is one thing we're working on. We're working on getting a place to kneel because I know you're all ex-Catholics for the most part anyway. And I know it's like, you don't know what to do with an altar unless there's a space for you to kneel, you know, but uh, if that makes it easier. But I'll tell you what, we've got some really good carpet here. And uh, there's nothing magical about this space, but sometimes making a motion from where you're sitting to just kneeling and humbling before God in a place like this can can make a statement to God that maybe you haven't made in a long time. So Lord, I want you to know, I know you know my sin. I know you know my suffering. The Lord wants you to know he knows, like you don't have to sort it out. Sometimes he's just looking for us to affirm and say, oh Jesus, help me. And then he says, I was waiting for you to do that. I was waiting for you to do that. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.